Chapter Nine, Part One of A History of the Philippines. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. A History of the Philippines by David Burroughs. Chapter Nine, Part One. The Dutch and Moro Wars. 1600-1663 Loss of the naval power of Spain and Portugal The seizure of Portugal by Philip II in 1580 was disastrous in its consequences to both Portugal and Spain. For Portugal, it was humiliation and loss of colonial power. Spain was unequal to the task of defending the Portuguese possessions and her jealousy of their prosperity seems to have caused her deliberately to neglect their interests and permit their decline. In one day, Portugal lost possession of that splendid and daring navy which had first found a way to the Indies. Several hundred Portuguese ships, thousands of guns, and large sums of money were appropriated by Spain upon the annexation of Portugal. Many of these ill-fated ships went down in the English Channel with the Great Armada. When the terrible news of the destruction of this powerful armament, on which rested Spanish hopes for the conquest and humiliation of England, was brought to the Escorial, the magnificent palace where the years of the king were passed, Philip II, that strange man, whose countenance seldom changed at tidings of either defeat or victory, is reported to have simply said, I thank God that I have the power to replace the loss. He was fatuously mistaken. The loss could never be made good. The navies of Spain and Portugal were never fully rebuilt. In that year, 1588, preeminence on the sea passed to the English and the Dutch. The Netherlands become an independent country. Who are these Dutch or Hollanders? How came they to wrest from Spain and Portugal a colonial empire which they hold today without loss of prosperity or evidence of decline? In the north of Europe, facing the North Sea, is a low, rich land intersected by rivers and washed far into its interior by the tides known as Holland, the Low Countries, or the Netherlands. Its people have ever been famed for their industry and hardihood. In manufacture and trade in the latter Middle Age, they stood far in the lead in northern Europe. Their towns and cities were the thriftiest, most prosperous, and most cleanly. We have already explained the curious facts of succession by which these countries became a possession of the Spanish king, Emperor Charles V. The Low Countries were always greatly prized by Charles, and in spite of the severities of his rule, he held their affection and loyalty until his death. It was in the city of Antwerp that he formally abdicated in favor of his son, Philip II, and, as described by contemporary historians, this solemn and imposing ceremony was witnessed with every mark of loyalty by the assembly the rebellion but the oppressions and persecution of philip's reign drove the people to rebellion the netherlands had embraced the protestant religion 
and when in addition to plunder intimidation the quartering of spanish soldiery and the violation of sovereign promises philip imposed the terrible and merciless institution the spanish inquisition the low countries faced the tyrant in a passion of rebellion war began in 1567 dragged on for years there was pitiless cruelty and the sacking of cities was accompanied by fearful butchery in 1579 the seven dutch counties effected a union and laid the basis of the republic of the netherlands although the efforts of spain to reconquer the territory continued until after the end of the century independence was maintained for years before trade between portugal and the netherlands forbidden a large portion of the commerce of the low countries had been with lisbon the portuguese did not distribute to europe the products which their navies brought from the indies foreign merchants purchased in lisbon and carried these wares to other lands and to a very large degree this service had been performed by the dutch but after the annexation of portugal philip forbade all commerce and trade between the two countries by this act the dutch deprived of their lisbon trade had to face the alternative of commercial ruin or the gaining of those eastern products for themselves they chose the latter course with all its risks it was soon made possible by the destruction of the armada the dutch expeditions to the indies in fifteen ninety five their first expedition led by one cornelius hutman who had sailed in portuguese galleons rounded the cape of good hope and entered the indian domain the objective point was java where an alliance was formed with the native princes and a cargo of pepper secured two things were shown by the safe return of this fleet the great wealth and profit of the indian trade and the inability of spain and portugal to maintain their monopoly in fifteen ninety eight the merchants of amsterdam defeated the combined spanish and portuguese fleet in the east and trading settlements were secured in java and johor in sixteen o five they carried their factories to amboina and tidor effect of the success of the dutch the exclusive monopoly over the waters of the pacific and indian oceans which portugal and spain had maintained for a century was broken with the concurrence of the roman sea they had tried to divide the new world and the orient between them that effort was now past they had claimed the right to exclude from the vast oceans they had discovered the vessels of every other nation but their own this doctrine in the history of international law is known as that of mare clausum or closed sea the death blow to this domination was given by the entrance of the dutch into the indies and it is not a mere coincidence that we find the doctrine of closed sea itself scientifically assailed a few years later by the great dutch jurist grotius the founder of the system of international law in his work the libero mare the trading methods of the dutch the dutch made no attempts in the indies to found great colonies for political domination and religious conversion commerce was their sole object 
their policy was to form alliances with native rulers promising to assist them against the rule of the portuguese or spaniard in return for exclusive privileges of trade in this they were more than successful in 1602 they obtained permission to establish a factory at bantam on the island of java this was even then a considerable trading point chinese arabs persians moors turks malabars peguans and merchants from all nations were established there the principal object of trade being pepper the character of the treaty made by the dutch with the king of bantam is stated by raffles the dutch stipulated to assist him against foreign invaders particularly spaniards and portuguese and the king on his side agreed to make over to the dutch a good and strong fort a free trade and security for their persons and property without payment of any duties or taxes and to allow no other european nation to trade or reside in his territories spanish expedition against the dutch in the moluccas the spaniards however did not relinquish the field to these new foes without a struggle and the conflict fills the history of the eighteenth century when the dutch expelled the portuguese from amboina and tidor in february sixteen o five many of the portuguese came to the philippines and enlisted in the spanish forces the governor don pedro bravo de acuna filled with wrath at the loss of these important possessions with great activity organized an expedition for their conquest in the previous year there had arrived from spain eight hundred troops two hundred of them being native mexicans thus acuna was able to organize a powerful fleet that mounted seventy-five pieces of artillery and carried over fourteen hundred spaniards and sixteen hundred indians the fleet sailed in january sixteen o six tidor was taken without resistance and the dutch factory seized with a great store of money goods and weapons the spaniards then assailed ternate the fort and plaza were bombarded and then the town was carried by storm thus at last was accomplished the adventure which for nearly a century had inspired the ambitions of the spaniards which had drawn the fleet of magellan which had wrecked the expeditions of loaiza and villalobos for which the spaniards in the philippines had prepared expedition after expedition and for which governor dasmarinas had sacrificed his life at last the malaccas had been taken by the forces of spain capture of a dutch fleet at mariveles so far from disposing of their enemies however this action simply brought the dutch into the philippines in sixteen o nine juan de silva became governor of the islands and in the same year arrived the dutch admiral wittert with a squadron after an unsuccessful attack on iloilo the dutch fleet anchored off mariveles to capture vessels arriving for the manila trade at this place on the twenty fifth of april sixteen ten the spanish fleet which had been hastily fitted at cavite attacked the dutch killing the admiral and taking all the ships but one two hundred and fifty prisoners and a large amount of silver and merchandise 
these prisoners seem to have been treated with more mercy than the captives of van north's fleet who were hung at cavite the wounded are said to have been cared for and the friars from all the religious orders vied with one another to convert these protestant pirates from their heresy an expedition against the dutch in java spain made the truce of her european wars with holland in sixteen o nine but this succession of hostilities was never recognized in the east the dutch and spanish colonists continued to war upon and pillage each other until late in the century encouraged by his victory over wittert silva negotiated with the portuguese allies in goa india to drive the dutch from java a powerful squadron sailed from cavite in sixteen sixteen for this purpose it was the largest fleet which up to that date had ever been assembled in the philippines the expedition however failed to unite with their portuguese allies and in april silva died at malacca of malignant fever the dutch fleets battles near corregidor the fleet returned to cavite to find that the city while stripped of soldiers and artillery had been in a fever of anxiety and apprehension over the proximity of dutch vessels they were those of admiral spielbergen who had arrived by way of the straits of magellan and the pacific he has left us a chart of the san bernardino straits which is reproduced on page one hundred thirty three spielbergen bombarded iloilo and then sailed for the Moluccas. A year later, he returned, met a Spanish fleet of seven galleons and two galeras near Manila, and suffered a severe defeat. The battle began with cannonading on Friday, April 13, and continued throughout the day. On the following day, the vessels came to close quarters, the Spaniards boarded the Dutch vessels, and the battle was fought out with the sword. The Dutch were overwhelmed. Probably their numbers were few. The Relacion states that they had fourteen galleons, but other accounts put the number at ten, three vessels of which were destroyed or taken by the Spaniards. One of them, the beautiful ship, the son of Holland, was burned. This combat is known as the Battle of Playa Honda. Another engagement took place in the same waters of Corregidor, late in 1624, when a Dutch fleet was driven away without serious loss to either side the dutch capture chinese junks and galleons but through the intervening years fleets of the hollanders were continually arriving both by the way of the cape of good hope and the straits of magellan those that came across the pacific almost invariably cruised up the strait of san bernardino securing the fresh provisions so desirable to them after their long voyage the prizes which they made of Chinese vessels passing Corregidor for Manila gave us an idea of how considerably the Spaniards in the Philippines relied upon China for their food. Junks or champans were continually passing Corregidor laden with chickens, hogs, rice, sugar, and other comestibles. The Mexican galleons were frequently destroyed or captured by these lurking fleets of the Dutch, and for a time the route through the Straits of San Bernardino had to be abandoned, the galleons reaching Manila by way of Cape Engaño, or sometimes landing in Cagayan, 
and more than once going ashore on the Pacific side of the island at Binangonan de Lampon. The Dutch in Formosa The Dutch also made repeated efforts to wrest from Portugal her settlement and trade in China. As early as 1557, the Portuguese had established a settlement on the island of Macau, one of these numerous islets that fill the estuary of the river of Canton. This is the oldest European settlement in China, and has been held continuously by the Portuguese until the present day, when it remains almost the last vestige of the once mighty Portuguese empire of the East. It was much coveted by the Dutch because of its importance in the trade with Canton and Fukien. In 1622, a fleet from Java brought siege to Macau, and being repulsed, sailed to the Pescadores Islands, where they built a fort and established a post, which threatened both the Portuguese trade with Japan and the Manila trade with Amoy. Two years later, on the solicitation of the Chinese government, the Dutch removed their settlement to Formosa, where after some years they broke up the Spanish mission stations and gained exclusive possession of the island. Thus, throughout the century, these European powers harassed and raided one another, but no one of them was sufficiently strong to expel the others from the east. The Portuguese Colonies In 1640, the Kingdom of Portugal freed itself from the domination of Spain. With the same blow, Spain lost the great colonial possessions that came to her with the attachment of the Portuguese. All the places, says Zuniga, which the Portuguese had in the Indies, separated themselves from the crown of Castile and recognized as King Don Juan of Portugal. This same year, he adds, the Dutch took Malacca. The Moros Increase of Moro Piracy During all these years, the raids of the Moros of Maguindanao and Holo had never ceased. Their piracies were almost continuous. There was no security. Churches were looted, priests killed, people borne away for ransom or for slavery. Obviously, this piracy could only be met by destroying it at its source. Defensive fortifications and protective fleets were of no consequence when compared with the necessity of subduing the Moro in his own lairs. In 1628 and 1630, punitive expeditions were sent against Holo, Basilan, and Mindanao, which drove the Moros from their forts, burned their towns, and cut down their groves of coconut trees. But such expeditions served only to inflame the more the wrathful vengeance of the Moro, and in 1635, the government resolved upon a change of policy and the establishment of a presidio at Zamboanga. Founding of a Spanish Post at Zamboanga This brings us to a new phase in the Moro Wars. The governor, Juan Cerezo de Salamanca, was determined upon the conquest and the occupation of Mindanao and Holo, in taking this step, Salamanca, like Corcuera, who succeeded him, acted under the influence of the Jesuits. Their missions in Bohol and northern Mindanao made them ambitious to reserve for the ministrations of their society all lands that were conquered and occupied south of the Visayas. The Jesuits were the missionaries on Ternate and Xiao, 
and wherever in the Malaccas and Celebes the Spanish and Portuguese had established their power. The Jesuits had accompanied the expedition of Rodriguez de Figueroa in 1595, and from that date they never ceased petitioning the government for a military occupation of these islands and for their own return as the missionaries of these regions. The Jesuits were brilliant and able administrators. For men of their ambition, Mindanao, with its rich soil, attractive productions, and comparatively numerous populations, was the most enticing field for the establishment of such a theocratic commonwealth as the Jesuits had created and administered in America. On the other hand, the occupation of Zamboanga was strenuously opposed by the other religious orders, but the Jesuits, ever remarkable for their ascendancy in affairs of state, were able to effect the establishment of Zamboanga, though they could not prevent its abandonment a quarter of a century later. Erection of the Forts The Presidio was founded in 1635 by a force under Don Juan de Chavez. His army consisted of 300 Spaniards and 1,000 Visayas. The end of the peninsula was swept of Moro inhabitants and their towns destroyed by fire. In June, the foundations of the stone fort were laid under the direction of the Jesuit, Father Vera, who is described as being experienced in military engineering and architecture. To supply the new site with water, a ditch was built from the river to Maga, a distance of six or seven miles, which brought a copious stream to the very walls of the fort. The advantage or failure of this expensive fortress is very hard to determine. Its planting was a partisan measure, and it was always subject to partisan praise and partisan blame. Sometimes it seemed to have checked the Moros, and sometimes seemed only to be steering them to fresh anger and aggression. The same year that saw the establishment of Zamboanga, Hurtado de Corcuera became governor of the Philippines. He was much under the influence of the Jesuits and confirmed their policy of conquest. Defeat of the Moro Pirate Tagal A few months later, a notable fleet of pirates recruited from Mindanao, Holo, and Borneo, and headed by a chieftain named Tagal, a brother of the notorious Coralat, Sultan of Maguindanao, went defiantly past the new Presidio and northward through the Mindoro Sea. For more than seven months, they cruised the Visayas. The islands of the Camarines especially felt their ravages. In Cuyo, they captured the Corredor and three friars. Finally, with 650 captives and rich booty, including the ornaments and services of churches, Tagal turned southward on his return. The Presidio of Zamboanga had prepared to intercept him, and a fierce battle took place off the Punta de Flechas, 30 leagues to the northeast of Zamboanga. According to the Spanish writers, this point was one held sacred by Moro superstitions. A deity inhabited these waters, whom the Moros were accustomed to propitiate, on the departure and arrival of their expeditions, by throwing into the sea lances and arrows. The victory was a notable one for the Spanish arms. Tagal and more than 300 Moros were killed, and 120 Christian captives were released. Corcuera's Expedition Against the Moros at Lamitan 
Corcuera had meanwhile been preparing an expedition which had taken on the character of a holy war. Jesuit and soldier mingled in its company and united in its direction. The Jesuit saint, Francis Xavier, was proclaimed patron of the expedition, and mass was celebrated daily on the ships. Corcuera himself accompanied the expedition, and at Zamboanga, where they arrived February 22, 1637, he united a force of 760 Spaniards and many Visayas and Pampangos. From Zamboanga, the force started for Lamitan, the stronghold of Coralat, and the center of the power of the Maguindanao. It seems to have been situated on the coast, south of the region of Lake Lanao. The fleet encountered rough weather and contrary winds off Punta de Flechas, which they attributed to the influence of the Moro demon. To read the locality of this unholy influence, Padre Marcelo, the Jesuit superior, occupied himself for two days. Padre Combes has left us an account of the ceremony. The demon was dispossessed by exorcism. Mass was celebrated. Various articles representing Moro infidelity, including arrows, were destroyed and burnt. Holy relics were thrown into the waters, and the place was finally sanctified by baptism in the name of St. Sebastian. On the 14th of March, the expedition reached Lamitan, fortified and defended by 2,000 Moro warriors. The Spanish force, however, was overwhelming, and the city was taken by storm. Here were captured eight bronze cannon, 27 versos, lantacas or swivel guns, and over a hundred muskets and arquebuses, and a great store of Moro weapons. Over one hundred vessels were destroyed, including a fleet of Malay merchant prowas from Java. Sixteen villages were burned, and seventy-two Moros were hanged. Coralat, though pursued and wounded, was not captured. The Conquest of Holo Corcuera returned to Zamboanga, and organized an expedition for the conquest of Holo. Although defended by 4,000 Moro warriors and by allies from Basilan and Tawi-Tawi, Corcuera took Holo after some months of siege. The Sultan saved himself by flight, but the Sultana was taken prisoner. Corcuera reconstructed the fort, established a garrison of 200 Spaniards and an equal number of Pampangos, left some Jesuit fathers, and, having nominated Major Almonte chief of all the forces in the south, returned in May 1638 to Manila with all the triumph of a conqueror. Almonte continued the work of subjugation. In 1639, he conquered the Moro Dato of Buhayan in the valley of the Rio Grande, where a small presidio was founded. And in the same year, the Jesuits prevailed upon him to invade the territory of the Malanao, now known as the Laguna de Lanao. This expedition was made from the north through Iligan, and for a time brought even this warlike and difficult territory under the authority of the governor and the spiritual administration of the Jesuits. Laws of the Spanish Settlement on Formosa The full military success of Corcuero's governorship was marred by the loss of Macau and the capture of the Spanish settlement on the island of Formosa by the Dutch. In the attempt to hold Macau, Corcuera sent over the encomendero of Pasig, Don Juan Claudio. 
the populace of macao however rose in tumult assassinated the governor sebastian lobo and pronounced in favor of portugal in later by decree of the portuguese governor of goa all the spanish residents and missionaries were expelled the dutch seizure of formosa a year later has already been described end of chapter nine part one recording by shenna Serre, fresno california